Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. And good morning and thank you, Rich, for uh, the, the plug this morning. Uh, I can also share with you that Keswick is, is not a place, it's a mindset. Uh, yes, our, the heartbeat of America's Keswick is the addiction recovery ministry, and we've been doing that for coming up on 125 years. However, we are primarily focused on the truth that God does speak to hearts and transforms lives, and not just the men and women who are struggling with some identified addiction, but all of us who desperately need to know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and it's just a matter of embracing him and making him ours, because God wants us to embrace him too. And in that, I'd, I'd like to share with you this morning a truth. Everyone in this room has faith. Every one of us has faith. And we demonstrate it every day. Let me just share with you that, that not only do we have this, this faith that we've come to know and love and care for and, and, and kind of embrace as our own, we demonstrate that faith in small, little, simple ways. And we demonstrate it in big, hairy, audacious ways. We demonstrate it every single day. And I'll give you an example of how you demonstrated that faith this morning. When you came in, you walked in, sat down on that pew, and none of you questioned it. None of you put your hand on the pew and checked it out and made sure that it was firm enough to hold your weight and so you wouldn't be sitting on the floor as I was talking. None of you. I watched. <laughs> Jesus himself talked a lot about faith. In the book of Matthew, he, he, he spends a lot of time talking about faith. For example, he... he Matthew recalls the story of the centurion who he asked Jesus to heal his servant. And then he later talks about faith like a mustard seed that could move mountains. We've all got faith, every single one of us. We demonstrate it every day, but how can we truly demonstrate our faith in God? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity of sharing your word. Now, Father, I would just commit to you this time that, that this would not be a time for us just to speak words, but to change hearts, to transform lives, that your word would speak clearly into us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son pray all these things in his name. Amen. 
Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians and stick your finger in chapter 2. Now we're going we're gonna to focus on a passage that centers around faith and captures the very essence of our Christian existence. And as we read it, we really begin to understand how we can demonstrate our faith, not just in things of the world, but rather in God himself. Take a look at you, if you would please, to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and moving into verse 10. And today we're going to be working through the New International Version. No matter what version you have, we'll still be able to hear God speak through that printed word on the page. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God not by works so that anyone can boast for we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do and what do you say we unpack this verse a little bit and 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 put some real world applications to it but we have to take a minute and look at that word that sits right smack dab in the middle of that passage and that word is faith. And since some of you are from North Jersey, we'll use that translation, which would be fate. But we'll, since I'm bilingual, we'll say the word faith. The word faith that's used here is also used throughout scripture. And the Greek translation is the word pistis. Pistis. It implies a, a moral conviction or, or a persuasion, but the best way to describe it is actually the word reliance. Faith is tr practically and actually the word reliance. We, we rely on something or someone to, to place our faith in. We, 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 we put our faith in something or someone and we have some element of expectation that comes out of it. True? For example, a baby relies on its parents. A business owner relies on his workers. America's Keswick relies on its guests and donations to continue to do God's work. This church relies on you not just to show up on a Sunday morning, but to also contribute time, tithe, energy, and prayer. We rely on the power company for electricity and for cooling. We, we, we trust our spouse and we rely on him or her. We trust our friends and we rely on them. The United States Postal Service, UPS, FedEx, the alarm clock, Social Security, and in my case, GPS can't get from the bedroom to the bathroom without it. A farmer for food, the military, police, the fire department, the bank to protect our money, the folks that predict our weather, sometimes with severe disappointment. We might even rely on a weapon for protection or an alarm system against intruders. How much faith we actually demonstrate 
in these things and so many other things that we have in our lives is really a reflection of who we are. When we look at the definition of faith, we often look in the scriptures and we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, and the writer of Hebrews actually uses this word pistis. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in, a, in about what we do not see. It is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's true in its basic nature. In, in, in the honor that's associated with it, it kind of becomes our backbone of faith. Many of the things that we mentioned a little earlier, we can't see, touch, or feel, but we demonstrate our faith in them. Here's an example of how we demonstrate our faith. Where were you 20 years ago? On New Year's Eve, 1999. The world was panicking of what was going to happen. It was called Y2K. If you were around at that time, there were dire reports how the end of the world was coming as we know it. Every computer would be affected. Planes would be falling out of the sky. Lights would go out. Power systems would crash. Cars would explode. We put so much reliance on those computers, we began to panic. And all of our creature comforts would fail. How we responded to Y2K and this possibility of a worldwide meltdown is not only a demonstration of our faith, but it was also a God-centric look at our character. How many of us started storing water, ran to the bank, pulled money out of ATMs, started sticking cash in ungodly places. How many of us started building bomb shelters, began hoarding food, and listened to all the predictions for these apocalyptic end times? Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. And I even bought a new computer last year. It has Windows 10 on it. Pistis. Reliance. Faith. It's something or something I can on it. I don't have to see it, watch it, talk to it, negotiate with it, marry it, shake hands with it, or this passage I've been reading in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. But before we get there, we have to do a little bit of background. Paul is writing this as he's in captivity in Rome. It's more like a detention or a house arrest. But before that, he had spent three years with the Ephesians, and he got to know them pretty well. 
And the letter they sent to strengthen and encourage them was intended also for other Christians that were living in the area. Ephesus was considered at the time a model church. They were doing all kinds of religious things, all the right things. They were working hard being Christians. This urge sin. They were course and going, going. They were being patient and bearing up each other's burdens without being weary. They were critically looking at the false teachers. All the things that we would look at a New Testament church and say they got it right. So Paul sends this letter to help out these believers to keep a little bit of perspective. If you flip back a little bit from where we were before and start in verse 3 of chapter 1, and we look through verse 14, by the way, in the Greek, that's one sentence. You can imagine that the person taking Paul's dictation was saying, slow down, slow down a little bit, hang on, slow down. But Paul started out with this, this outline of the spiritual blessings that are found in the Trinity. For example, the pursuit of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the seal of the Holy Spirit. It kind of encapsulates it all. In the rest of chapter 1, he prays that his readers would grow in their knowledge of God, specifically that they would understand the hope of their calling and the riches of God's inheritance and the greatness of the divine power that's available to all believers. Now, here's the key element of his explanation and why our faith is so important to us. You jump over to chapter 2, where you have your finger, and Paul takes this discussion of this divine power in the resurrection of Jesus, and, and he brings an illustration of that power in the transformation of believers from spiritual death to heavenly life. Very simply put, that's our story. It's a reminder, a reminder of the how they and us are dead to sin, enslaved to evils, and objects of divine wrath without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number one, demonstrating our faith is all about God. It's all about God. Verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. It is all about God's grace, all about his grace that transforms us out of the depths of our sin. We don't have to do it because we can't. He did it. Each person who experiences the true freedom of salvation realizes it comes through grace. And grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. And grace that brings salvation must be accompanied by faith. A person must trust in the mercy and favor of God, even though it is undeserved. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have been 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now remember that word boast. Keep that in the back of your mind. That takes us to the next part of the verse in Ephesians 2. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. There's this spirited discussion, which is a euphemism for the word argument, that goes on between theologians and Greek scholars over this section of this verse. Whether faith is actually a gift. A couple of things here. When we look at Ephesians 2.8, in the Greek we see that the word that, which the NIV translates to this, is considered neuter. And the word faith, that would be pistis, is feminine. Now, now the general rule in Greek is that the gender and the number have to match up, and it's not really clear because of this whether the gift is actually faith. So what a good theologian or Bible scholar will do is look at the whole of Scripture, that is, all of Paul's writings as it relates to this topic. We have to look at the whole counsel of God. We can't take one verse out of context and say, that's the answer. So if we do that and we look at Paul's writings about God's grace in salvation, we learn that the gift is not faith, the gift is salvation. And salvation comes by faith. And we've said, and we, because we all live by this measure of faith. Remember where you're sitting. So, if our faith is reliance, it becomes the focus of our faith. But the question comes down to who or what are we relying on? Putting it more <coughs> casually, who are we putting our faith in? Or what are we putting our faith in? And looking at the passage, the demonstration of our faith is not saving ourselves, because we can't do it even if we tried. But the reality is that sometimes we think we can. Or at least build a little credibility with those or what or who saved us. We sometimes in our Christianity boast about our status in Christ, don't we? I mean, we consider ourselves better in some cases. We have something that somebody doesn't have. And, and, and we have it all because we got an in with God. After all, we're Christians, right? We're followers. We're elect. We, we've got something that these unbelievers don't have. We are special. Salvation, my brothers and sisters, is a gift from God. 
only thing that we truly deserve is divine judgment based on our sin. Salvation is a gift of God. And by the way, because it's a gift, it can't be taken away. It's ours for good. Listen carefully. Remember we talked a little bit about remembering the word boast? We can't. There's no way we can. This gift, this gift is salvation. We got nothing. It's all about him. It's complete and total reliance on him and him alone. There's no such thing as Jesus plus. We can draw a clear truth from the fact that every man that has ever come through the colony of mercy in America's Keswick or every woman who has come through Barbara's place and every person that has realized that they are sin infested creatures has to rely on one source for any hope. They need to put their faith not in themselves but in God. But once we are broken and we seek to put our faith in him, we come to the loving fact and the wonderful result that he's the only answer. Oh, by the way, just, just so we make it clear that the model for faith is actually God himself. Listen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, full of faith, and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? It is faith that we accept and embrace that truth. That God can and will forgive us and purify us from the stuff that he hates. Why? Why is that? Well, point number two. Demonstrating our faith is recognizing we are God's masterpiece. And we need to live like it. There's a wonderful truth that Paul exposes to us here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, the Greek word translated workmanship is actually poema, which, which we derive the English word poem from. I don't know if you folks took any English classes when you were in school, but memorizing poems was part of the whole thing that we had to do. And we come to recognize that they are works of art, but they're still man-made works. 
what, what this word actually means is a manufactured product. But my brothers and sisters, let's just make this clear. We, because we're God's workmanship, are more than just a manufactured product punched out on a conveyor belt. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are beautiful creations crafted by the master. We are his masterpiece. We sometimes forget that because we forget our identity and who exactly we are in him. And we have these moments of, of, of self-doubt and, 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 and thinking that we're less than adequate. And because of that, we then take extraordinary steps and try to get our identity from things outside of him. Unfortunately, I see it every day that men who make choices because they're not clearly grasping who this God is in their life, and as a result, they seek their identity either by, by trying to grasp it through substances or a need for attention or a desire for approval. And as a result, they fall into the trap of idolatry and worshiping something other than the living God. America's Keswick, the Colony of Mercy in Barbara's Place, we don't call ourselves a rehab. We're reorienting a man's mind back to where it needs to be, focused completely on Jesus and strengthening his relationship with him. That's the only cure. Not just for those who are struggling with addiction, but those of us who are struggling, period. If you go back to the beginning in the garden, Genesis 127, we were all made in God's image. But there's more to the story because there's the gift of salvation. We were reborn in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ a new creation has come the old is gone the new is here it is by grace through faith that we are God's workmanship his masterpiece do you know what's really cool about all this we're, we're an ongoing work of God we ain't done amen not done with us. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, starting in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began, listen, a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus. What Harry said earlier is today might be the day. But if it's not, maybe tomorrow. That's okay. He's continuing the work in us, in me. I ain't done because he's not done with me. Earlier this year, I had COVID. 
And let me tell you, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. I laid in bed one night and I said, so this is what it feels like to die. And I was sure that was my last night. But you know what? One of my fellow chaplains reminded me, you know what? God's not done with us yet. We kind of struggle with this idea, frankly, as we look at the concept of good works, don't we? I mean, we really do. Maybe we came from a religious tradition that, that works were necessary to earn favor with God. To get right. Am I right? I'm right. We do. We try to win this, this good look from God, and you know what we call it in the Christian realm? We call it servant. Maybe, maybe we need some reminding that in every other religious system, one has to pursue God for a chance to gain his favor. The fact is, in true biblical Christianity, God pursues us for a relationship. That don't make any sense, but it, it, what part of scripture always makes sense? The fact is, we can put our faith in that. As we read, that relationship came through this undeserving love and mercy through God's grace by the death and resurrection of his son. And that's another thing we could put our faith in. Think of it this way. If we're not bound by the idea of doing good works, the pressure is off. Relax. All we got to do is trust and have faith. God has already given us the gift of salvation as a result of his unmerited favor. As a result, our focus now can turn away from what we got to do to what's already done. We can focus on him and freely serve without having to reach some standard. He transforms us into new creations to use us, his masterpieces, as display cases for his creative majesty. Living, breathing pictures of grace and mercy. We're not saved solely for our own benefit, file insurance, if you will. But we're created in Christ's image for acts of service that bring glory to him. This solves this tension between faith and works. One of the commentaries on this passage actually sums it up very eloquently. Works do not produce salvation, but are evidence of salvation. James chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it 
says. So what kind of works are we talking about here when we look at Ephesians chapter 2? Well, we might ask the question of what good works mean to you or to me. Good works might be what you're doing right now. You're attending a worship service. You're here on a Sunday morning. You're not watching Meet the Press or Netflix. Maybe it's praying regularly. Maybe it's studying the scriptures. Maybe it's giving generously, hosting a homeless family, caring for the poor, working for social justice, dropping some coin in the back, being part of communion, buying toys for the neighborhood kids whose parents found themselves out of work because of COVID. Loving your neighbor when it's not easy. But think about this. If we just limit ourselves to that, which are all nice things, we kind of miss the true extent of what God's plan actually might be for us. Verse 10b in Ephesians chapter 2. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Clearly, all those works might be things God has prepared for us to do, like being here. But good works are not just the holy things that we do. It's everything we are. Point number three, demonstrating our faith is in everything that we do. The original Greek reads more literally, which God prepared in advance so that we may walk in them. Author Mark Roberts notes that the language of walking was used by teachers in Paul's time to signify a, a, a way of living or engaging in a certain lifestyle. So when we would be walking in this sense of good works, we would, we would be walking in faith in that. In other words, good works that we're referring to in verse 10 are not obvious religious activities. They're not things that make us look holy. Rather, they're scattered throughout our otherwise secular life. Good works actually encompass the whole of us as Christians. It's all that we do by God's grace for God's purposes. If demonstrating our faith is all about God and we are God's masterpieces, everything we do, everything we say, every encounter, every waking minute, every minute on the internet needs to be a demonstration of our faith. But remember, the pressure is off. We allow grace to move through us 
and demonstrate ourselves as God's masterpieces. Ephesians 2.10 is very similar to other passages that Paul uses in his letters that envision all of life as lived through and for God. For example, Romans 12.1 says, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This offering takes place, by the way, not as identified temples or churches, but rather in everyday life. Similarly, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's all about faith, our reliance on him, his grace, his faithfulness, and to do what it is that becomes an outpouring of our faith. It's an overflow. We need to learn to see our lives as one non-stop good work. And remembering that we're created in his image and his likeness without boasting. We just do it because it comes naturally because of his grace. It's everyday stuff. It's how we work. It's how we treat others. It's the way that we respond to criticism. It's the way we talk to our spouse. It's the way we view and accept family members, friends, and, and those we thought were friends. It's how we reply on Facebook or Instagram. It's going to the store. It's saying hi to a stranger. It's praying for the leaders of our government, even if we don't agree. It's praying for the Holy Spirit to intervene in areas of tremendous unrest even personal tragedies. It's seeing God's hand to touch and to struggle through difficult circumstances, to work through things like racial unrest and social injustice, bitterness, anger, pride on everyone's side, honoring your marriage when going gets tough, confessing your sins, to the person you offended and telling somebody about Christ. That is our ultimate end. God has given us a privilege to join him in his work. Amen. And that work is to share the gospel. And we do that because of our good works, in addition to sharing the actual word. You know, there's something different about you. Well, what's the deal? And that answer is five words, my brothers and sisters. Five words. Jesus Christ changed my life. You don't have to have a complicated testimony. That's it. I promise you, the person you said that to will respond. And most likely it'll be confusion. Now, let the Holy Spirit do the rest of it. 
because he already set it up for you. But ultimately, all of this is about the cross. And that sacrifice of God's Son that allowed us to spend eternity with him. Sharing that truth with others is what Jesus died for. And for the record, it takes faith to do that. And a reliance on God for courage and for grace. In the secular world, there's not a salesman in the world who does an effective job unless he believes in his product. We, my brothers and sisters, are not in management. We're in sales. We spread the word and the product sells itself. Remember that passage in Hebrews 11 that we were talking about a little earlier? The writer reminds us, by the way, about the good works of the people in that hall of faith. None of them knew the outcome of their demonstration of faith. So don't expect to see a lot of fruit in your good works. Just do good works. Have faith. That's going to pay off sometime. But not for us, but for the glory of God. So why should we even bother talking about all this stuff? You know, what's the big deal? I mean, after all, we're in a pretty good spot, right? I mean, after all, you know, we got this church thing down pretty good. You know, we've got a pretty stable operation going here. Everything's moving along just along nicely, just like the Ephesians had there. Everything's cool. Sure, we're looking for a pastor, but that's okay. Well, he'll be here sooner or later, and it will work out. It's all going to be good. No biggie, right? We're there. We've got to remember who Paul wrote this letter to. The church at Ephesus. The model church. And they were doing it all right. They had it all set. Except for one thing, just one thing, one very big thing. Revelation 2.4, the words of Jesus, as recorded by John, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. The Ephesians were so busy doing, they lost their focus on Jesus. Their white-hot love for the Lord was supplanted by doing religion. It's not about what you do. It's who your heart is set on doing it for. We my dear friends, can and do fail to do the same thing. Amen. 
It's a trap. I can promise you that it's very easy, even in full-time ministry, to get so wrapped up in the do, we forget about who did it in the first place. Tomorrow, we have three more men coming into the Colony of Mercy. All of them have been in the Colony of Mercy before. It would be very easy for me to focus completely on getting them right rather than my walk with Christ and let him do the work. We work hard at times to do for God and we forget all about God. When I first started seminary, I had to read a sermon that was delivered by one of the great theologians of this or any other time, B.B. Warfield, who spoke to new students at Princeton Theological Seminary. And he talked about this, that sometimes we get so wrapped up in being religious that we forget about the one we're religious toward. He encouraged those students to sometimes put your book down and pick up the Bible. Great message for all of us to remember. You're so busy trying to work on your declensions, you forget all about the spirit. Here's the application for today. We might remember James chapter 2, verse 17. Sometimes we quote that and get confused about it. But in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. We need to put this truth into our hearts. The world needs to see this demonstration of our true faith. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I've come to this church several times, and I feel like you're almost like friends. You're, you are friends, but I, I just feel like we're a little closer than just some guy standing up here sharing. So I can say this to you. Demonstrating our faith means remembering it's all about God. Not us. So we need to put our faith, in other words, our reliance on him. And it's remembering that, that we are his masterpiece. And it needs to be in our DNA, not forced, not contrived, not made up, not doing God a favor, not dressing the part, but with everything that we do. We need to remember, because we need to remember the cross. The gift of faith. We demonstrate that we are the beneficiaries of that gift through our service to the one who allowed us to spend eternity with him. It is humbling to recognize that we're not just his masterpiece, but he wants us 
we could put our faith in that. Dear Father, thank you for saving a soul, this soul, who just didn't deserve it and still doesn't, but for your son's blood. Father, for each person here in the quiet of our hearts, I would ask us that, I would ask each one here to rededicate their focus to you. That the words that are in this book aren't just printed on a page, but would leap out and infuse us with your spirit. Father, we pray for each person here as we, as we walk this week. We seek your face. And we go forward in this and we don't and we don't know where we're going we think we have our plans lord but please change them so that we might be able to do your good work not by man's standards but by yours some things you make us do that don't make any sense to us but lord we trust we put faith we rely on your guidance finally lord we thank you for your son we thank you for his blood. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that we celebrate today through communion, through, through this, this miracle that you gave us, this, this love that you show us. Father, we know from, from, your, from your servant, John, from his book, First John, as he tells us that you are love. God is love, not just loving us, but you are the essence of love. Thank you. We don't deserve it again. Thank you again, Father, for doing it. We pray these things today in your Son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.